It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Hey, welcome to another episode of Movies You Should Love. I'm Lauren, and with me, as always, is... Scott. Indeed. Um, As always, uh, we're going to be talking about one of the classic movies. Well, not always. Sometimes we talk about newer movies, but this time we're talking about a classic movie. uh, Number three, I believe, on AFI's top 100 films list, Casablanca. uh, The classic uh, Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman um, movie that's, you know, in different people's lists, usually floating between, like, number one and number five, somewhere. Yeah. Um, So that's what we're talking about today. Um, If you want to also join with us, you can uh, always get on our Facebook, facebook.com slash movies you should. You can let us know what you think on Twitter, um, at Movies You Should, and on our website, MoviesYouShouldLove.com. Um, Absolutely. And if you like what you hear today, rate us on iTunes. Yeah, definitely, because that uh, helps other people who also might enjoy what we're, what we're talking about uh, find us. And uh, if yeah. you don't like what you heard today, uh, go read a book. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> go watch a movie. Don't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, Scott, what have you been watching here recently? What's What's been new in your life with with movies? So many new things in my life. Which, <laughs> um, I, I'll tell the podcast family this. Uh, Kelly and I have recently uh, brought a foster child into our home, and uh, we're going to see how that plays out. There's lots of questions, lots of things, and we have to protect our child's uh, identity and all sorts of things about her past and things that we kind of have to we have to protect her and so i I won't be talking a lot about her um but you know we definitely kind of hopes to adopt at some point and we'll see what happens that's happened to us in the past two or three weeks um and so i definitely i will definitely i'm saying this now to let you know that there are movies i'm going to be watching in the near future and movies i've watched in the recent past that are completely because of this uh 14 year old child (laughs) um but like literally like the day or two days before uh she came to live with us i had a day off and i was like you know what i'm gonna go spend it in the movie theater um, and so I watched two movies back to back. I watched the movie Lawless, and then I went and saw Hit and Run. Two very different films. Mm-hmm. Um, Lawless, I absolutely loved. I'm going to say right now, it's probably not going to be for everybody, but it is a movie that really resonated with me, and I, I have continued to think about it since leaving the movie theater. Um, it, kind of, it tells the true story of a uh, couple of brothers living in Prohibition, I want to say Virginia, and they're moonshiners, and that's really the movie. It's them trying to make it in the world, and the like, kind of basically you could say the government coming down and trying to kind of wheedle in on their business and take some of their money and kind of control them, and how they they simply don't want to have any any part of it. They just want to live their life. They want to be who they are. And uh, Tom Hardy stars in it, um, who people might know from uh, the recent Batman movie. He was Bane. And before that, he was in Bronson. And he is conti- he's still a just a phenomenal, magnetic character actor, even though he has very little dialogue in this. He's, he plays this guy who... Um, he kind of grunts a lot, <laughs> you know. If you, it's like it's almost. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Sling Blade. Somebody will say something to him, and he just goes, uh, and he kind of walks away. Like, but it's really he's really just fascinating to watch. Um, Shia LaBeouf is in it, and he's great. Um, he continues to be an actor. I hope to see more of and further away from Transformers. Um, because in those movies, <laughs> he just wasn't given much to do. He ran around and screamed a lot. Um, and in this, he really kind of he really delivers a solid performance um, as the younger brother eager to prove himself to his older brothers. Uh, Guy Pierce is in it and is phenomenally creepy um, as this like uh, FBI guy who comes down. It's directed by the guy who directed uh, the Proposition, that Australian okay. western, which mm-hmm. is also starring Guy Pierce. Um, and so, knowing that, do you know if you go into this movie, there is some pretty grisly violence in it it's i wouldn't call it a violent film per se but when it does when the violence erupts it erupts and it is squirmy it is cringeworthy at times um but i really really enjoyed it i went out i immediately bought the soundtrack the soundtrack is this kind of great rock folk rock uh soundtrack that i really really enjoyed listening to um Great movie. It, it's kind of, to me, it kind of is a great companion piece to Boardwalk Empire, mm-hmm. if you're watching that at all. Um, because it's like Boardwalk Empire is like uh, illegal prohibition activity in the big city. And this is kind of 
this is where the moonshine's coming from. This is, you know, the people who are making it and they're taking it across state lines to sell it to people in the city. And it, it works really well kind of in that context. Um, then, like I said, I saw Hit and Run, which is the Dax Shepard, Kristen Bell um, car chase comedy is essentially what it is. Um, Kristen Bell and Kristen Chenoweth are in it. They had my two favorite Kristens, so I had to go see it. Um, <laughs> um, really, it, it's, it's, a, it's a really fun movie. It is a super light um, car chase comedy. You know, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm not usually a person who races out to see a car chase film. Um, they just, you know, car car movies don't really interest me. When that's your selling point, we have cars and they drive. Eh, okay. Um, but this was fun. You know, I think Dak Shepard uh, wrote it. He he might have co-directed it, but it's just a fun movie about this guy who is in witness protection. And he kind of decides to kind of throw that to the wind to get his, uh, his girlfriend to a job interview because she wants to be a counselor and she has to get to L.A. in time for this interview. And that's the the crux of the film that's what it's all about and then people start chasing each other and then because his past comes to catch up with them and the police are involved and there's lots of fun car chases but really it's the fun for me was just the fun dialogue and the relationship between the boyfriend and girlfriend because um Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard are boyfriend and girlfriend in real life and you can tell they're you know madly in love and have great chemistry and they work well with each other and it's really that it's the, the interactions and the dialogue that really worked for me it's not a movie I would say you have to go out and see um, but you know, if you're looking for something fun on a Saturday night, it's great. You know, it's rated R comedy, so it's, you know, go into it knowing that. But it's fun. <laughs> uh, last movie I saw, we went to the cheap theater <laughs> to see Step Up Revolution, the in the Step Up franchise. Um, I've only seen the first one and the fourth one. The first one starred Channing Tatum. The fourth one does not, so I assume he dies somewhere along the way. So this is quickly becoming my favorite franchise of all time. <laughs> and I only say that because I hate Channing Tatum. And, <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry. It's, Channing, I know you listen to our podcast. So I apologize. You know, I just, uh, no, I don't. Um, the, <laughs> I wouldn't think of this movie, this is a franchise that has strict continuity, but in the big um, flash mob dance sequence at the end that saves the rec center, um, some dancers make some cameos that our 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 fourteen year old child was going. Oh, and they were at step up two, and they were in step up three. So clearly, there is a shared world continuity taking place because characters do come back. Apparently, um, it's an impossible movie to review um, because honestly, there's only one actor in the film, uh, Peter Gallagher, who you might know from movies or TV. He was in the OC as the father. He basically plays a an evil man who wants to destroy a block of buildings in Miami so he can build a hotel. Mm -hmm. um, and so the dancers who call themselves the mob start creating these flash mobs to protest this and say, we are not for sale. And um, in the end, you know, it's, it's, I mean, and in the end, basically he goes, you dancers are right. Let's try to find a way we can all live together. And I don't destroy your homes. You know, it's, it's that kind of a movie. Um, so really, this movie is for people who love Glee or who love So You Think You Can Dance because it really feels like an extended episode of Glee and it stars half of the cast of people you've seen on So You Think You Can Dance. At least two of the dancers you'll recognize if you've seen a couple of seasons of So You Think You Can Dance and one of the people, one of the dance instructors is Mia Michaels who has been one of the oh, judges and choreographers every single season. Yeah. Um, and so it's really, and it's it's a movie for dance. It's like, and so everybody who's in the film are dancers. They're not actors, but they're not given a lot of things to really do in between the scenes when they're not dancing. And so it actually is a pretty fun film. You don't really go into it with a lot of expectation. Um, it compares itself strangely to the movie Act of Valor, which I talked about on a couple of podcasts ago, which was the movie that starred real Navy SEALs portraying Navy SEALs. And to me, both filmmakers, both directors of both of these films made the very smart decision to both to feature these people. And if you're going to feature these people, to show them off at their best. Mm -hmm. Act of Valor was great because you watch that movie to see how Navy SEALs really would respond to these battle situations. And it's phenomenal for that. But the acting in between the battles isn't great. But at the same time, they are not given the kind of weighty drama and script to deal with where they have same thing here this movie you're here for the dance and there's a lot there is some fun dance sequences 
if you've got a 14 year old girl might want to rent this for them they'll probably enjoy it. there is some kind of sexy dancing but at the same time i actually really appreciate the fact <laughs> this is going to sound strange that there was no love scene in the hmm. movie because it is because some of the dancing is very sensual um yet at the same time there is a and there's a love story that takes place in it uh the, the evil man's daughter gets sucked into the dance situation as one might imagine um but the love story feels very natural and as much as natural as it could and very kind of realistic in that when they meet it's kind of a big deal when they have their first kiss and then they kiss a second time but you know that you don't have like this forced like and now that we've kissed we must not have sex you know like it doesn't go to there it just kind of has like they've met and this is the beginning of a relationship that may or may not go somewhere anyway i've now talked a lot more about sip of revolution than i ever thought i would (laughs) (laughs) what have you seen oh let's see um well, I've been kind of... Well, as I do, I, I catch up a lot on stuff that I kind of missed in the theaters. And uh, so I finally saw John Carter, which I know you are a huge fan of. Um, and uh, I have to say, I enjoyed it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's um, not without its flaws. It has uh, a few plot holes here and there that kind of crop up. And it, it you know, it's it's definitely not a perfect film. Um, I but it's... Say- yeah yeah but it's it's a highly enjoyable sort of movie and um you know if if you can if you're interested in kind of uh um you know kind of that that really broad sci-fi kind of thing you know much more the like fantasy sci-fi versus hard sci-fi you know this is definitely right up that that alley for you and uh i have i have no hesitation recommending it um yeah, and there's at least one podcast where I think it was me and Dean Tripp, we talked about it. If you want to go back, we really kind of get into it. It really kind of feels like a, a modern Star Wars film in a good way. Not yeah. Like Star Wars films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it, it was pretty great. I, I liked it overall. Um, the other movies that I have seen, um, um, Unknown, the Liam Neeson yeah. uh, movie with... Uh, uh, Mad Men co-star January Jones. Yes. Um, uh, which I also, I really quite enjoyed it. it um, you know, it I kind of knew the exact twist almost from almost the beginning, yeah. uh, which is kind of maybe the biggest flaw in the movie. But I actually don't th- really think it's a flaw with the movie. I just, I think it is a flaw with us as filmgoers that we are now expecting the twist and that we are super educated on what the twists can be yeah there's there comes a certain point once you become familiar enough with either with films or with a specific kind of genre that mm-hmm. you you know like this is if this is oh this is this kind of movie that means either a b or c is going to happen oh we're going with b if b happens that means this this or this will happen and you can kind of call it that was my biggest frustration with that film yeah that it kind of was marketed as taken to mm-hmm. and it kind of really wasn't a taken movie and then it had the the foreseeable plot twist yeah um it's i mean it's basically you know it's it's a hitchcock movie i mean it's basically what it, it is. is and and for that i you know i loved it because it it really kind of just follows that basic hitchcock kind of um you know formula it's it's kind of you know a man thrust into a situation he doesn't fully understand and has to kind of you know solve it i mean that's that's kind of the plot of so many hitchcock movies yeah. and uh um uh, you know everybody who's in it does a fantastic job it's it's got a really cool you know winter uh berlin location that's just really mm-hmm. fascinating and uh um i was a little i wasn't quite expecting it to get as violent as it did i i was initially and then it didn't quite go that direction for a while and so then when the violence did hit it was very kind of shocking a little bit um but that said that also was kind of impactful with it is Mm -hmm. that is that it kind of built up and when it did hit you're kind of like holy cow that's intense Yeah. yeah um you know uh Overall, a very, very solid movie. You know, between that and Taken and uh, The Grey, I, you know, Liam Neeson is doing some fantastic work that I, I really enjoy. Yeah, it's, maybe... it's a really fun action thriller. Did you have you and I talked about The Grey? I don't think we have yet. We'll have to maybe we'll save that for another podcast. Yeah, I because I think you, I think you brought it up on one. I've seen it since then. Okay, um, but I don't think I've actually talked about it. So maybe um, we can do that next podcast. Okay, a yeah, let's, bit. yeah, let's talk about that because that was a fascinating film. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, these movies that he's doing are not necessarily, um, like, the greatest movies of all time, and they're not going to be, uh, you know, 
Academy Award winners or anything, but they're just these solid action adventure movies. Sometimes that have a little bit more to say, like Taken. You know, it's I mean, it's a violent action thriller, but it you know, it's also kind of a, a whole condemnation and awareness raising thing of human trafficking. And, you know, so it's yeah, I think that definitely the kinds of movies that people will revisit in 10, 20 years when you're talking about it. And it might not be like the greatest films of all time. Mm-hmm. But, hey, these are some notable films that came out in the early 21st mm-hmm. century that are worth checking out again. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm very happy Liam Neeson can keep doing this, you know, every couple of years and and put all these things out, and I will, I will watch all of them basically. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't, he hasn't really missed with this this style yet. So have you seen the trailer for Taken Two? I have not seen that yet. So I, that is that is that where we're worried now? It's a little special. All right. Well, <laughs> it's almost like if you if you if someone said, okay, here's the plot for Taken Two, you know exactly what's about to, you know, it's like, or guess the plot for Taken Two. It's like it's almost a repeat of the trailer of the first film in a really kind of strange and like, Oh, that's the direction you're going kind of way. Anyway, check it out. In this one, he gets captured and the daughter has to rescue him. You're not far off, but you're still (laughs) the, the wife gets captured. Uh, He he and his daughter have to go find her close enough. Okay. But it still involves a phone call. He's surrounded by men. It still involves a phone call. And he's like, okay, they're going to come for you. And then I'm going to come for you. And then we're going to go get your mom. And we have special skills. You know, you're kind of like, oh, so they're doing exact. Okay. <laughs> well, you it's know, exactly the same thing again. <laughs> it's it's highly likely it would happen because you know he did go up against the mob of yeah, people. It's, so it's, it's, it's like revenge. The, it is. Yes, it would have to be revenge. <laughs> it's exactly that. <laughs> so anyhow, um, anyhow, yeah, so, unknown, probably better than Taken Two. Probably. Well, see, the thing was like when I heard there might be a Taken Two, I don't think it's a bad idea, but I kind of felt like why don't you just tell another story with this character because this character's an interesting guy mm-hmm. and you could do a lot with him. You don't always have to have him rescuing a kidnapped person in his family. He could be called by the president. He could be called by, you know, or he could be in a situation where he steps up to do something. Mm-hmm. I think I'd kind of like to see sequels like that, where you create a character, not unlike the Bond films, where they don't have to even have the same title. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be Taken Two. Well, it can just be yeah. Well, Liam like, Neeson. Like when I first heard about Taken Two, uh, like my thought was like, you know, he was doing the uh, the protection for the pop star. Exactly. In it, like, wouldn't it be fascinating to do something with his protection? side business mm-hmm. and have somebody taken through that where he then has to, you know, that was exactly. kind of my initial yeah. thought. Oh, exactly. Or like the pop star says some really inflammatory things. Mm-hmm. And so the whole movie is about him trying to get this pop, this, uh, bimbo who mm-hmm. thinks, who thinks she's like more popular or more important than she is, has to get her out of this country before the country erupts and destroys her or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, there's a lot you could do. Mm-hmm. But we can also just do the kidnapping family thing. Yeah, I don't know. I'll still see it. But. I, I will too. And the thing is, Liam Neeson can make just about anything significantly better. Yeah, you know, like episode one. Um, and true. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm still willing to watch it. So the other movie that I've seen, uh, the final one I want to talk about here today, is The Pirates' Band of Misfits, which I know you've also seen here yes. recently. This is the Ardman Studios, the animation film that they just released. Right, and and I'm not sure if it, if they did full-on claymation with this one, if it's claymation combined with CG, you know, I'm sure, well, I know there's CG in it. I absolutely yeah, I, know I, it. I think I heard that the the animation of the characters is the traditional Ardman style of animation, but the background was backgrounds were CG. Mm-hmm. I think that was my, what I heard. I may yeah. be wrong about that, but so I, I haven't paid that much attention to the making of this particular film. So I don't really know that much about the process. I guess I could go read up on it, but I'm already talking about it. So I'm not <laughs> probably going to after this. We're committed now. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've, I've read a couple of the books that this is based on. Okay. I have not. Um, so, as someone who has read the books, I, you know, it It made a little bit of... Uh, I don't know where you're coming from, because we haven't talked about this at all. But yeah, I, I could see how there could be some weirdness with this whole thing where, like, all of the pirates don't have names, and they just kind of have <laughs> things. True. And, like, it's just kind of this weird world that isn't necessarily... It doesn't necessarily quite make sense. In the yes. books, that's exactly how it is. And so going into the movie, I kind of knew what to expect. And yeah, so I how- did not know what to expect. It was like, here's the pirate captain. He is called the pirate captain by everybody. Here is the pirate who is who has a beard. Here is the pirate, and this is what they are called in the mm-hmm. film, if they're called at all. Um, it was not at all what I was expecting. 
And that's not a bad thing at all, because what ended up it being was just this absolutely absurd, wacky Victorian England adventure that involved Charles Darwin, played by David Tennant, a whole lot more than I thought was going to be in the film. Because from the trailers, like Darwin's not in the trailers, at least not here in America. I don't know if that was on purpose, but it's like the trailers made it look like it was going to be this rip-roaring pirate adventure. And really, it's more of a silly Ocean's Eleven yeah. style film where they're like in disguises constantly and sneaking into places and <laughs> Charles Darwin is in love with the queen and trying to impress her constantly with his discoveries and there's like all this weird wacky stuff that I, I really enjoyed it yeah the, the best I can describe it is kind of Victorian absurdist animated Ocean's Eleven mm-hmm. I think is maybe the words that, <laughs> that describe it best oh, exactly. if that sounds interesting to you then you're probably going to love this movie it's, I mean this is from the people who get brought us you know like Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run and Chicken Run and all these other so it's like it's that same kind of humor and mm-hmm. style and so it, I mean it worked for me I, I don't know if it I like I love the Armin Studios. They're not I, I rank them a little bit maybe under Pixar as far as like mm-hmm. my excitement level goes or even maybe quality of film goes. Um, but I love them. I kind of adore them and I I wanted to see this in the theater um, to support Armin, but I wasn't able to. I rented mm-hmm. it and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, exactly. That's my exact same story and um, honestly I, I don't think I could recommend this movie really enough to people. It's it's funny, it's um, it's better than than most of the animated films coming out. It really is. You know, really is. Uh, if you have to pick between this and Shrek twenty seven, please pick this. <laughs> please pick at this, this point. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, Hugh Grant plays the pirate captain, and he's really great. I mean, he really kind of captures the the imbecilic swagger of the pirate captain, and um, I enjoy the. And it's the kind of film that has those kind of winks and nods to the audience. You know, those kind of references to Charles Darwin and his discoveries and his uh, his writings that like Darwin hasn't discovered these things yet, but the pirates somehow know about evolution. You know, it's like they'll talk about it and the Darwin's like, wait, wait, go back to that. What was that again? And they'll just move on. And it's it's fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's definitely aimed at, at kids. Yeah. You know, but it's. And it's, it's not one of those movies that necessarily has jokes just for the adults in it and then just jokes for the kids. It's just a genuinely funny kind of movie. It's, it's not... It's, it's legitimately fa- a legitimate family film. It's yeah. like, this is a film everybody is going to enjoy, maybe in various degrees probably, but there's nothing objectionable in it. And see, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Brings yeah. us to the discussion of the day. Yeah, Casablanca, 1942. Um, yeah, stars Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman. Um, it's basically the story. Um, it's set in unoccupied Africa uh, in the early days of World War II, and it tells the story of an American expatriate who meets a former lover and the unforeseen complications that follow. Is that the Netflix? Uh... It's, a, it's a slightly adjusted uh, IMDb. IMDb. Well, there you go. That's why it's actually decent. <laughs> I wish I knew what the Netflix sleeve had said. Um... It's probably something like, Rick w- watches his love walk off into the sunset with somebody else. <laughs> as he begins a new friendship with Louie. <laughs> it's a classic 1942 film. <laughs> uh... Oh, Netflix, you ruined another film. <laughs> um... Yeah, well, this is this is one of my favorite films, um, and I have no issue with it being number three here on on the list. Nope. You know, I think I think once you start getting into the top films of all time, kind of thing, you know, stuff you gets very very subjective. Very, um, you can make a strong case for the top any of the top five to ten being the number one film of all time. You know, yeah, exactly. And you know, and this is one of those kinds of movies. Um, there are movies in that list that are there for other reasons than, than this movie. You know, there's some of them that are there because they are pioneering sorts of films. That, yeah. You know, uh, Citizen Kane is like that. It's, you know, a pioneering film that kind of embodies the epitome of filmmaking at a certain point of time and, and mm-hmm. kind of what even today filmmakers aspire to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you have movies that, you know, redefine genres and movies that, you know, redefined what cinema could be or that you know, um, push the boundaries of things or whatever. This is not one of those kinds of movies. This movie does not do any of that. Um, this movie is, this movie is on this list because it is an example of what happens when you take something that's a normal project and just everything works right with it. 
Yes. Um, there was nothing going into this movie in the development of it, in the production of it, in, you know, in any, any part of it where people were going, well, this is a special movie. This is going to be, you know, right. You know, no one intended for this to be what it became. It just, everyone treated it with respect and with professionalism as they made it, you know, um, and, you know, actors gave the performances and, you know, directors directed and producers produced. And at the end of the day, Casablanca was the end result. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's a great movie because of that. It's it's a movie that is so good because it is just a good story that is incredibly well told. There you have it, friends. Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is really kind of an interesting film because it is just so solid. I mean, it doesn't have necessarily the subtext of Citizen Kane. It doesn't necessarily have... It's not one of those movies that, upon repeated viewings, you're going to discover new things about the characters. You might get some of the subtleties of mm -hmm. uh, certain characters and their motivations for things, or their life in the city, or their life before these events. Um, but it's not the kind of movie where you watch it that second time and go, oh, it may, I get, oh look at that, it was set up in the beginning. It, mm -hmm. It's just a strong um, romantic drama when it comes right down to it um it yeah. was a there was it was it started its life started as an unstaged uh theater play essentially yeah everybody comes to rick Rick's. yes exactly yes. and uh they thought it'd make a good film and right you know this comes out they started filming this basically right after pearl harbor um right after the beginning of america's involvement in world war ii and um they wanted you know good strong patriotic movies to be released um, and so they had this film, and they or they had this script, and so they just kind of basically rushed to make it. Um, some of the interesting things that kind of took place behind the scenes was um, because Casablanca is a real place in northern Africa, and in the as it was filming, things actually started happening in Casablanca in the real world. Um, namely, the uh, the Americans showed up and like liberated it, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and they wanted to, there was a lot of discussion about that being included in the finale of this film as you know as that being part of the climax as you know Rick is running around trying to get things to happen you also have the army rolling in and things are happening and cooler heads prevailed honestly and said no we don't need to clutter anything we can just release this as it is um, we can just make the movie as it's written and it's going to stand up, and it's going to be a, a very rousing patriotic film because it really is, and it not patriotic in the way that Yankee Doodle Dandy is, which was also directed by the same man, uh, Michael Curtis. Um, Curtis. Curtis. Sorry. Yes. Um, same director, but this one has a much more subtle kind of patriotism, and it has one of the, one of my favorite scenes of any of the, the those kind of nineteen forties World War Two films where you have these people in the bar. They're at Rick's. And you have um, these people who have fled Europe. These French, you have like French, and but you also have Nazis there, and the Germans, and they're they're all there in this place where they can exist because nobody really has nobody has the power there. It's just right. kind of and yeah. I, I think it starts off with the Germans. They start singing their national anthem, and then like the Austrians come in, they start singing, and then the French, and they they end up singing this. Um, well, they, they sing. They sing the uh, the the French national anthem, exactly. Marseille. Yeah. yeah, and they all rally around that song, and they just sing it louder and louder, and drown um, out the Germans. Drown out the Germans, and it's just it's beautiful. I mean, and you can make it. You can make that a metaphor for so many things, um, and it just it works. And you can see the people they're they're, they're singing and they're getting emotional and well mm -hmm. and teary. And and I was reading that that a lot of those people who are crying uh that was real because a lot of those people like only there's only two actors in this film that are actually american the rest are uh european actors and so a lot of them that were, had worked that uh, work on this film were coming from basically world war ii they were mm -hmm. a lot of people had fled from nazi germany and all of that and so for for them to sing those songs and in their own little small way defeat the germans on this film set uh meant a lot to them and it was really cool yeah, um, you know, I had the opportunity. Um, it was very kind of exciting because um, when we were talking about what movie to do next, since we're not necessarily going in chronological order, I was like, Scott, let's do Casablanca because we just did Citizen Kane. Let's do Casablanca next. And um, it'll be great because uh, I get to go see it 
in our theater here. They're going to do, um, and I'm a little bit jealous. Yeah. Uh, so I actually got to go see Casablanca in our, in our, uh, revitalized, you know, classic theater, um, here in Nashville and, uh, or in, in, well, in Franklin, Tennessee. And, uh, man, it was, it was great. Cause, um, that scene, especially, I mean, that's, that's about, I don't know, halfway, a little more than halfway, maybe mm-hmm. through the movie. And, you know, people were really with the movie up until then. It was, it was fun watching it with a, you know, a house of, of people and stuff and, and, uh, you know, an audience and people were laughing at the jokes and people, mm-hmm. you know, were, were, were into it. And then that scene hits and it electrified the audience. I mean, this is 70 years later, 70 years to the year, yeah. to the year later that this, from, from when this movie came out and that scene, like, you know, I, we've talked a bit about how we've reached that age where like we start crying in movies, <laughs> like, like my eyes were tearing up a little bit, you know, had yeah. like the goosebumps running up my yeah. back and stuff. I mean, like, and everyone in the theater, you know, you could just feel how that scene impacted people. And, and the movie changes from there. It does. And the audience changed from there as well. It was, it's just, it's amazing. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. I, I mean, it got to me. I was just sitting here by myself in my mm-hmm. house, you know, yeah. it's like <laughs> the wife and the girl were in school at, at mm-hmm. work. And I was sitting here watching Casablanca going, wow, you guys, I don't know if we've had such an, like it's such an emotional scene. I don't know if we had such an impactful scene in recent years. It's, it's great. And it's, it's the kind of thing I love. And, mm-hmm. It definitely, you know, roots it in the 1940s, and to me, I would I would prefer stuff like this over the over something like Yankee Doodle Dandy, which is a fun film. But this, to me, just this gets to me a lot more on oh, this yeah. much more visceral level than um, anything in Yankee Doodle Dandy. Uh, but it, and, but the, even but despite the World War II setting and the patriotism at all, it's, a lot of that is backdrop to this very kind of interesting and almost simple story of um rick who runs this uh bar and gambling <laughs> uh i'm shocked shocked i shocked, say i say <laughs> gambling. there's gambling in this here establishment here running, sir. thank you everybody out <laughs> um yeah it's like he runs this little place in casablanca because he can and he, it's never really said the film why but apparently he can't return to america um rick can't go back um and so he runs this place, and then uh, this girl walks into the bar who um, he knew in Paris. You know, they're former lovers, and she is married now to this other to this other man. Well, he's not; she's not married now. She wasn't even married then, but she thought at the time that her husband was dead because he was taken to a concentration camp. Um, and so then they had this affair in Paris, and now they're meeting up again, and the old feelings are kind of rekindled. But at the same time, they both want to be respectful of this new situation they find themselves in. And they don't actually want to be having an They don't want to have an affair with, you know, because she's married. But at the same time, they're, uh, they're in love. The heart wants what the heart yeah. wants, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, it's, it's at its at its core. It's, you know, it's very much a love triangle that yeah. is kind of told on the backdrop of, you know, World War Two kind of hovering around the edges of the city that hasn't quite. You know, succumb to it completely yet, um, yep. and then he go ahead. Yeah, and so it's. Well, I was just going to say it's. It's a great setup because um, you know Rick is from a story writing standpoint. Rick's character is in a place here um, where it's it's a perfect setup for um, kind of the classic story arc of of a person. Um, having to, you know, make a decision and follow through and and go through their character growth and everything. You know, he's in a place, um, it's very easy, you know, he starts out as a complete neutral. That is his yeah. default mode. Like, and, I don't put my neck out for anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, default neutral. And so then the rest of the movie is about which way is he going to be influenced in this? Is yeah. he going to go, you know, Nazi? Is he going to go, you know... Allies, is he going? You know, does he have? Is his he going to remain completely neutral? Neutral. Like, you guys do what you want. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting involved. Yeah. And so it has it has this beautiful inbuilt character growth um, concept to it from a story writing standpoint that is fantastic, revolving mm-hmm. around the main character. Mm-hmm. And Humphrey Bogart, uh, he's Solid, been in, he, uh, he's been in a lot of movies, and this may be the, the shining moment yeah. in his career um out of some amazing shining moments he he just nails it which is really funny which i absolutely agree and it's, it's just so funny because i was reading that both uh he and uh ingrid like loathed the script 
they're like, you can't say these lines. It's like, oh, it's like it's, they thought it was ridiculous and silly. And, you know, you're just like, this is so good, you guys. <laughs> I don't know what you wanted out of the script, but this is wonderful. Yeah. Well, and, and what's fascinating to me about this is this was his first chance to really do a romantic role. Before this, he had been kind of typecast as a gangster. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd done High Sierra before this, um, which kind of allowed him... A more dramatic role, he, you know, it wasn't necessarily yeah. um, a romantic role, but it gave him more depth as a character and things. And so this was really kind of his his next step into that romantic leading man. Um, yeah, the costuming department was very aware of that and said, don't let him wear a hat. Like, And he only wears a hat like in the final scene of this film, because they said, you put a hat on him, he looks like a gangster. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, they were really trying to disassociate him from some of those previous roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, and he he shines in this. I mean, you know, it it strikes me as he had something to prove to people, and and he does in this. Mm-hmm. I think, and uh, you know, Ingrid Bergman is just luminescent in this mm-hmm. film. I mean, mm-hmm. literally because she's lit very well, but <laughs> but beyond that, I mean, she's just she's just you know gorgeous and and kind of this perfect. Um, like the instant you see her on screen, you know why he fell in love with her and yeah. why there's all of this, you know, it's, this history and the baggage yeah. that you're still dealing with, and why mm-hmm. her re-entering the life creates mm-hmm. a dilemma. Yeah, it's um, a, a little side note on the love triangle. I really also appreciated the fact that her husband was completely likable. You know, mm-hmm. he just happened to be the other guy, and like, you're kind of rooting for Rick because he is so cool and so likable and just so fascinating. You kind of root for Rick through the film, but at the same time, you don't hate her or hate him mm-hmm. for well, being together. You're yeah. like this that that couple makes complete sense, mm-hmm. and which you know ultimately ties into the ending of the movie. Is is it kind of comes down to uh, you know what do you do in war with love? Yeah. You know, do you do you do you keep your love, or do you make a sacrifice for the greater good? You know. Yeah. You know what is war? It, it, that's an ultimately a very fascinating thing about this is it's ultimately about that kind of ultimate question is you know the greater good versus the sacrifice personal for, sacrifice game. of war. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a, a you know it's a very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of thing for Very relevant conversation then and now it's, yeah and for a romantic drama to kind of end with that kind of a question is kind of a big yeah a big deal it so. is no it is I mean, when so many modern romantic comedies are content to be just romantic comedies mm-hmm. that have no bigger social agenda or conversation taking place just to be there to you know make cute for an hour and a half mm-hmm. this actually has a little this has some meat to it which mm-hmm. i completely i appreciate so much mm-hmm. Yeah, what's also fascinating to me about this movie is, you know, probably 90% of it all happens in one location because mm-hmm. it is based on a stage play. Yeah. And yet somehow they are able to create this sense of high adventure and um, mm-hmm. you know, mystery and intrigue. It feels like a much bigger film than it mm-hmm. actually is. Yeah. Um, you know, it feels like it, it feels like there is all kinds of covert um, you know things, and like if you could just see into the lives of all of these different people in, in yeah. this one place, there would be so much um, fascinating, you know, dark dealings and, mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff. And you get glimpses of that throughout it, and and yet it creates this very just fascinating world that, you know, honestly, I would love to go spend, mm-hmm. you know, hours in. Um, mm-hmm. And at the same time, they've tried to do remakes and stuff, and 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 there there was. There was some, uh, I don't know how strongly they tried, but there was definitely some attempts at a sequel mm-hmm. that would have followed. Because at the end, they, uh, Louis kind of sets up this idea that they're going to go to Brazzaville. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a place for, there's a place there that uh, Rick could run. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was going to be a sequel called Brazzaville, and it, it never came to fruition for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know, and I'm completely happy with it mm-hmm. not having a sequel because while it's one of those things where I want to know more. And that's a great place to end. I'm I'm great with it all being in my head. Exactly. It's like Rick is a great character just to imagine. Like, what was he doing in France? Mm-hmm. What you know when he was fighting? You know, with the <laughs> over here, and what is he mm-hmm. doing afterwards? Where does this? Where does this guy end up in life? It's it's the kind of film you will enjoy, kind of imagining as you're driving home or as you, you're watching the credits, going, "What happens next?" You know, do you know? Does Elsa? What what kind of life does she have afterwards? Or where does where does Rick go from here? Is he going to be in trouble for what he did there in the final moments of this of the of the film? Um, 
this is the movie too. I remember the first time I saw it. The first time I saw this movie was actually in uh, film class, mm-hmm. and I remember being astonished at how much of this movie I was already completely familiar with. Um, yeah, it, it is one of the movies that you watch it. I remember the, the first time I'm sitting there watching it, going, "That's it from this movie. That's cool. That's from this movie too. That's from this movie too." I think over and over again, and, and it started with. Uh, at the very beginning of the film, you have the you have the Indiana Jones red line <laughs> denoting travel. I mean, it's a black and white film, but that's always like this image I've always associated with the the Indiana Jones movies when he goes to travel to Africa. They draw a red line from America to England to Spain to Africa. It's in this movie, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> it predates Indiana Jones by a solid forty years, and so that that was kind of a fun little thing to see that you go. Clearly, Spielberg was like, "We're going to use that. That's how we're going to we're going to do the same thing." When we set we do our high adventure, nineteen forties film, we're going to do the same thing. Also, so much of the, the music. Um, mm. the, oh man, you can't get the music in this movie out of your head once you watch it. Yeah, as time goes by, is this classic uh, song which predated the movie. They used mm-hmm. they were reusing it from a I think it was a play. Maybe it was a film. Um, they reused it, and it, it works so well in this. When you hear it instantly, you remember it, and it becomes kind of Ilsa's theme throughout the film, and it's pretty phenomenal. And then the dialogue. There's so This movie is so quotable, and you've, you've heard these lines, and you've heard them in other movies. You've heard them in TV shows. You know, of all the gin joints and all the towns and all the world, she walks into mind. Um, Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Um, and then the, the often misquoted line, which doesn't appear in the film, play it again, Sam. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not in the movie. No, just play it, Sam. Yeah, play it, Sam. You played it for her. You can play it for me. You know, it's and that's and that's it. It's but there's so many things like that. When you watch it, you're like, oh, that's what you know. That's what these mm-hmm. people have been referencing all of these years, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of fun for seeing mm-hmm. that. And there's setups, and there are scenes when yeah. you watch it, like the final scene of the film taking place in the hangar by the airplane and you just go oh i've seen this before you know it's it's really cool to see that and it's like it's it's clear this movie has had a very impactful mm-hmm. influence on cinema on ever since it yeah. came out yeah um you know the other thing that i will say about this movie uh in complete agreement with all of that is that it's also a movie that lets its um secondary actors have a lot of fun characters mm-hmm. And um, it's a movie that's really about witty dialogue and, um, you know, really interesting conversations between people. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, it's kind of a movie where you have this really interesting thing with, um, you know, kind of kind of building on the dialogue that you were talking about. You know, most of the lines, especially um, with Claude Rain's character, the the French commander of of the police there, um, you know, he has so many witty lines between him and uh, and Rick, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's there's so much that can be memorable about this, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so many of these actors in this movie get some really fantastic characters to work with, and so you know, um, Sidney Greenstreet is uh, you know the owner of the, the Blue Parrot, and mm-hmm. um, you know, Peter Laurie comes in and gets to do his. Uh, guy on the run with the with the papers and everything you know Mm -hmm. it's just it's these character actors of the time who you know are just get to do some really great stuff in here and um and again the dialogue for me is what really clinches this film Mm -hmm. is that these characters it's believable dialogue but it's dialogue in a slightly heightened way but at the same time it's the kind of thing it's like if I had thought of that line, it's the exact same thing I would say in a real conversation to someone. Kind of. All of the dialogue has history to it. Yeah. Because all the characters have history, and it's a movie about mm-hmm. their shared history. Exactly. Like Rick shows up, and you can tell he's a world weary person who has lived too much life. But then you have all of their dialogue. It's like there's this understood exposition to some of their dialogue but it doesn't sound like exposition they talk about things and they reference things but it sounds real and natural and you just you understand that everybody has come together maybe for this one moment maybe their whole lives have led up to this and how can they help these people escape or what are they going to do in this moment now that they're being faced with this incredible evil and the dialogue is just like this natural extension of that and I I thought it was great and I'm glad you mentioned it because I had forgotten about wanted to talk about that yeah. just how rich 
some of the dialogue is. And it's very simple. It's not like it's mm-hmm. like this Shakespearean hard to unlock dialogue. Hmm. It's just like it just all drives character. Somebody says something and you go, oh, that means he's this, this and that. You know, it's like he, they mm-hmm. say things and you know what it means and mm-hmm. what it implies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very, very well written from that. Mm-hmm. aspect um i know a lot of the writers at the time kind of thought it was kind of cornball and you know whatever but at the same time it really works and what's and- what's really funny too talking about the uh, the script i i was reading a story about like in the i think it was for like the 40th anniversary like in the 80s um just to prove that nobody was making good movies anymore or something along those lines they uh they sent the script out to movie studios in the eighties. Like, hey, here's a script that we're thinking about making, and people are like, "It's too wordy. This is too. This is awful." And like, and like most studios, a didn't recognize it as Casablanca, but then they were also rejecting it for like all of these reasons of like the dialogue and not, not enough action, not enough sex, not you know all these things. And they're just like, and there were a couple of studios that were like, "Do you want to remake Casablanca? Because that's what this is." <laughs> <laughs> I think they sent it out with the script title Everybody Comes to Ricks or something. They changed this, the title, but everything else mm. was just the script and That's it kind of makes you sad for modern filmmaking yeah. in the 80s. <laughs> well, I'm glad there were people who at least recognized yeah, it. Yeah, I'm glad there was a couple people. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, Casper, the, the one downside I will say to this movie, or the one thing that, that every time I see it pulls bugs me, bugs me just a little bit, is the flashback sequence. Okay. Um, it's not bad. It just it maybe goes on a little too long for my liking, mm-hmm. and maybe doesn't quite accomplish things quite as elegantly as the rest of the movie does. That's about it. That's that's maybe the the worst thing I can say about this film. Mm-hmm. But I thought I'd throw that in for perspective. Um, the one thing I would add, and this is a silly thing to complain about, is um, there's a man who gets shot in the back in the first oh, scene, yeah. and it's, it's just a little overly dramatic for my taste, and also a little. It's strange, and it's just my modern sensibility not seeing even like a a, a blood spot because he gets shot in the back wearing a white suit, and so you just you're kind of trained to expect to see that now, and so I don't expect older movies to be that graphic, and I don't need movies to be that graphic. But that moment, it always every time I've rewatched this film, and even the first time I saw it, like it sets me up for a cornier film than we actually get. Mm-hmm. There's something about that scene that I always kind of go, oh yeah, oh, okay, you know. But then once the movie gets going and people start talking it gets much, much better. Yeah. Yeah. So basically if you can get past like the first two minutes and then, um, (laughs) and then there's, and then there's like 10 minutes of flashback at five, 10 minutes, something like that, which isn't, neither of them are excruciating or anything. They're not. Those those are the two weakest parts of the movie. Those are the clearest product of their time. Yeah. You know, the rest of this is pretty classic and stands up really well, which I think, you know, exactly where we're going to stand on this as a verdict. This is a, for me is a great film that, stands the test of time. You can yeah. watch this once a year and it's always the same movie. It is just a good movie. It's like it's not a movie like Citizen Kane where you're going to watch it that on that third time you can really understand the mm-hmm. that dynamic between these two characters. It's not like The Sixth Sense or The Prestige that on the third view and you finally understand the twist. It's a straightforward mm-hmm. solid solid film yeah. that is That's- just great fun yeah yeah and that said it's probably a more watchable film than citizen kane is you're probably going Mm -hmm. to enjoy it more i definitely did and um you know unless you're into film like like seriously into film it's just a good movie and you know for me it's in my top five of all time so to me this this strikes me as the film if somebody's like let's watch a classic film this is kind of that middle ground between um high citizen kane high art and Mm -hmm. um kind of the, the modern sensibility of just like, I, I just want a fun film. Can we find something that we can both agree on? This is it right here. You know, it's like you, everybody can come together and appreciate Casablanca and you'll probably appreciate it for several different reasons. And it's, it's just a good film. Yeah. Um, so just a couple of uh, other suggestions here. Uh, I don't know if you put a list together or not, Scott. I really don't because to me, this is so solid. It's like, there's, I, I see your list here in front of us, and I think that these are great, so I'll let you okay. take it, because I just go, this is a good movie, just watch it, and if you don't like it, go watch another movie, because this is kind of the grandfather to so many films. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of where I come come at this list. Um, you know, the the director, Michael Curtiz, uh, he directed a couple of my other favorite films. Um, both of them are Errol Flynn movies, so, um, you know, but The Adventures of Robin Hood... That is and, so good. Which is... <laughs> I watch... You've you've talked about it for years, and I watched it for the first time like a year ago, and um, 
it is so good. It is. It, 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 this is this particular Robin Hood is where all other Robin Hoods have gotten all of their ideas from. This is this is like the movie more than the books, more than anything else that, that has, defines who Robin Hood that has is. sculpted who Robin Hood is for the past mm-hmm. hundred years almost. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I still would say the best Robin Hood movie. Basically, uh, you know, there's others that do interesting things with it, but this is kind of the all-around mm-hmm. best Robin Hood movie. It is, um, it's 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 so it's so great to watch as a modern audience because you're going to immediately see entire scenes that were lifted for the Disney animated Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. This is where most of the jokes for Men in Tights come from. Even though Prince of Thieves, you would think, would have more, it's really this movie that it yeah. really kind of goes back. You know, to. this this is the movie that has all of the stuff that Ridley Scott tried to avoid. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> you know, honestly, yeah. Um, and even Prince of Thieves, you'll see certain things that you go, oh, they're riffing off of that. They try to take that and make it more modern in the 90s mm-hmm. for Prince of Thieves. It's it's great. If you have, if you guys haven't seen The Adventure yeah. of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. Yeah. Um, the other Errol Flynn movie, uh, Captain Blood, which is um, probably not quite as good of a movie as The Adventures of Robin Hood. But it's also the movie that really um, solidified what the pirate genre of movies is as well it, uh, there's so much in it that um you know we still do in pirate movies you know down to pirates of the caribbean and stuff but you know and that we just have done since captain blood came out in the 30s i think so mm-hmm. um yeah both of those directed by michael curtis also kind of set some trends for hollywood and things so it, mm-hmm. those are both interesting uh ways to get into it uh for humphrey bogart fans uh the maltese falcon um, and The Big Sleep are both uh, really solid uh, Humphrey Bogart movies where he got to be a leading man, uh, again, more in a romantic lead. They're both detective movies. Um, Maltese Falcon is maybe... It has maybe a little bit more of that air of mystery and intrigue that um, Casablanca has without having maybe quite as much of the romance, hmm. whereas The Big Sleep probably has less of the mystery and intrigue but it has Lauren Bacall, and it's one of the most steamy romantic movies of that era of all time. Uh, cool. It's it's fantastic. So both of those are great movies. And then my last uh, option is Indiana Jones, because mm-hmm. weirdly enough, Indiana Jones, I, I know it's not actually really based on Casablanca. It's, it goes it harkens back to the RKO, um, mm-hmm. you know, adventure movies way earlier than that. But there's not a movie that I can think of that really kind of captures some of the mystery and intrigue of what Casablanca, Casablanca captures. And weirdly enough, the sense of adventure that is in Casablanca without really ever actually seeing much of it. Yeah. Other than the Indiana Jones movies. No, in, you know, Indiana Jones is kind of the action version of Casablanca. Rick. You yeah, know, Rick. Like yeah, those, exactly. those two characters specifically. It's like when Indiana Jones shows up, he's got that same world weariness. He's mm-hmm. much older than he should be. He's, you know, he's already been doing a lot and will continue to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And then it's also set in the forties and he's fighting Nazis most of the time, yeah. you know? So exactly. So there's, yeah, uh, those are, those are what I would say. That's, that's some directions you can head. If Absolutely. You, uh, if you like Casablanca specifically, I would, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the Maltese Falcon, and I would actually really recommend everybody to go see that this week because that's what we're going to review next on the next episode. It's number 31 on AFI's Top 100, and we just thought it'd make good thematic sense to move into another uh, Humphrey Bogart film. So, uh, the Maltese Falcon next week. Come back and see us then. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see you. Um, as always, uh, let us know what you thought about what we said today yeah. on Twitter, uh, Movies You Should, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash movies you should, mm-hmm. or on our website, moviesyoushouldlove.com. Absolutely. And we will see you next time. Next week. See ya. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 